on chapter 7 in your Bibles. God bless this choir, this orchestra, and all the work they put into this. I'm going to be brief this morning in typical fashion at services like this, but I do have a lot to say in this brief message. In John chapter 7, people in and around the temple at Jerusalem were arguing. They were debating over whether or not Jesus of Nazareth was indeed the King of Israel, as our choir has just sung. And it is in the midst of their polemics, point and counterpoint, that the unbelievers in the group make two staggering assertions that really end up being self-indictments. John chapter 7, verse 41, look at it. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said? They repeat this again in verse 52. Then answered and said unto him, art thou also of Galilee. Look at this now. Search and look. Search the scriptures. For out of Galilee ariseth no prophet, and every man went unto his own house. Now, folks, I don't know if any of the Sanhedrin who went to their own house that day went out and searched the scriptures. I don't know if the people themselves called their bluff and went home and searched the scriptures. But had they done so, they could have very quickly very easily come to a very familiar prophecy in Isaiah 9. A prophecy that's quoted in Matthew chapter 4 as fulfilled by Christ. Isaiah 9, 1 and 2 says, Beyond Jordan, in Galilee, right there. Beyond Jordan, in Galilee of the nations, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. And they that dwell in the shadow of death, upon them the light has shined. Search the Scriptures, they said. Yep. That's all they had to do, including the second stunning assertion. You'll notice in chapter 7, verse 41 again. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the Scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? Okay, well, hello. Both of Jesus' parents were of the seed of David, which is precisely why both of them traveled all the way to Bethlehem, the city of their birth, where Jesus was born. Search the scriptures, they said. So the folks, when you combine the prophecies that were fulfilled with a reminder of verse 31, look back at that verse, and many of the people believed on Jesus and said, when Christ cometh, will he do more miracle than these, miracles than these, which this man hath done? So in other words, when you have the signs and all of the scriptures crystal clear, what you really have is a great big flashing neon sign that says, yes, Jesus is King and Lord and Savior. However, there's more to this text. Because what he's going to do next remains one of the highest peaks. One of the singular distinctive moments in all of our Lord's preaching and all of his ministry. So that, you know what, if anybody did go home, and they did search the Scriptures, and they did see Isaiah's prophecy that from Galilee would come the light of the world, and that, as Isaiah said, those who sat in darkness would see a great light, those people are about to get a straight-up, face-to-face, real-life example of it. 
The last line of chapter 7, verse 52, you'll notice says, Every man went unto his own house. And the very next line in chapter 8 says, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. Our Lord did not go unto his own house, because the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. At Bethlehem there was no room in the inn, so that in fulfillment to one of 317 different prophecies, this king did not come opulent temple. He came to a dark stable. I once read that Queen Elizabeth visited the United States a few years ago. The royal logistics of that one trip were staggering. 4,000 pounds of personal luggage, two outfits for every occasion, and some days there were three, four occasions a day, two mourning outfits in case someone died, 40 pints of plasma, I take that with me when I travel, <laughs> white kid, kid leather toilet seat covers, her own hairdressers and two valets, 17 personal ascendants, uh, attendants, including medical staff, one brief visit of royalty to another country, that one trip cost over $35 million. It's how kings, queens, I guess, are supposed to travel. Except in meek contrast, the Old Testament prophesied that this king would come to a despised region with the poor, ultimately a stable where incredibly there were more animals attending him than there were valets or assistants. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. Jesus said in Matthew 20, 28, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom. It was true at Bethlehem, and now you read, 33 years later, Jesus is still giving and not receiving. Jesus did not go to his own house. He went into the Mount of Olives. It brings us to a critical word. It's a very familiar declaration by Christ, but I want you to notice the word. Chapter 8, verse 12, it says this, Then, then spake Jesus unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. Had they searched the Scriptures... Out of Galilee, a light, those who sat in darkness. He says, then he says, I am the light of the world. In other words, yes, yes, Jesus makes this bold, this audacious claim in fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy that light would come out of Galilee. And yes, he does so while multitudes of people, by the way, have just come to the temple to celebrate the festival of lights, the Feast of Tabernacles. That's in chapter 7, but especially... You'll notice the word then refers to something else. It refers to something that happens just before he says, I am the light of the world. Chapter 7, chapter 8 rather, verse 10. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Here it is, then. Then Jesus spake unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Now, folks, I don't know if you're familiar with John chapter 8 and who this woman is. But one thing is already clear. 
This woman is now exhibit A to the truth that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. That Jesus did fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah, that out of Galilee, by way of Bethlehem, light has shined in darkness. For just a moment, let's read that story, chapter 8, verse 2. It says, And early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, Rabbi, this woman was taken, the word means caught, in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. You see what's going on, right? Instead of some men going home and searching the scriptures, as they could have done, these men were stalking another home. There in that darkness, so as to catch and accuse a woman in sin. Not because they cared about righteousness, but rather to entrap her and to destroy the Lord Jesus. You know, it's interesting, this time of year, all the emphasis we have on light and on lights. I'm sure that most of you here today are well aware that this Thursday, December the 21st, 2023, is the first day of winter. That makes it the shortest day of the year. It's also why Solstice is a favorite day for superstitious pagans and neo-Druids who like to gather around Stonehenge and beat their drums. Why is that? Because the shortest day is the darkest day. By the way, you may have noticed in your bulletin the birthdays. Is it just a coincidence that the darkest day of the year is Remo's birthday? <laughs> <clears throat> Pastor, you're always pushing his buttons. Just the mute button. That's the only one I want to push on Remo. <clears throat> now, wait a minute. Notice again in John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then he adds, what? He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. That's quite a claim. Because you'll notice he's not saying, I'm a light of the world. He's not saying, I'm light in the world, or I'm adding light to the world, or I'm one of the lights in the world. No, not at all. What he actually says is, he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness because I am the. I am the light of the world. And once again, what is critical about this claim, this declaration of our Lord, is the text and the context in which it's spoken. Because, folks, as we just noticed, verse 12 doesn't begin with the word I. He doesn't just begin with I am the light of the world. It begins with the word then. Then spake Jesus, reminding us that Jesus made this declaration of light and who he is during and following and in the midst of this astonishing incident with the woman who was caught in adultery. They want to stone her. Not the man, mind you, who was also caught in the act. They want to stone just the woman who they drag, full of shame, before the Lord Jesus. And what did Jesus say to that woman in verse 10? Hath no man condemned thee? And when she said, no man, Lord, Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin 
no more. And then, guess what? Then spake Jesus unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. Now, beloved, understand what had just taken place and only moments before. We just read verse 2 of this text. Early in the morning, Jesus came into the temple. The Greek word there is deep, deep, deep dawn. It means basically it was dark outside. Early in November at this moment, very dark in the early morning, so that sometime during that night, the scribes and the Pharisees, certain ones, ambushed this woman, caught her in adultery, quote, in the very act. And the only reason they did it was to trap Jesus. They drag her into the court of Gentiles, where Jesus is already there, teaching on that familiar dirt floor. The court of Gentiles, if you know, the temple always faced east. So when they brought her in, verse 3 says, they set her in the midst, accusing her before God himself. And they accuse her as being worthy of stoning to death. But verse 6 says, Jesus stooping down as though he heard them not. He didn't even look them in the eye. It says he began writing on the dirt in the floor with his finger. Verse 7, and when they continued asking, badgering, agitating, bloodlust, he finished writing and he said, he that's without you, without sin among you, let him cast that first stone. And then again, it says he stooped down and he began to write some more. And you know what it says in verse 9? Convicted by their own conscience, beginning with the eldest who've lived the longest and had the most to be, be uh, had sin in their life, they all began to leave, one by one, until Jesus said in verse 10, Where are thine accusers? You know, Jesus had said, He that's without sin, let him cast the first stone. There was only one person there without sin. And yet he said, I don't condemn you. You are not going to die here today. There's no stone in my hand. And in fact, to this woman who called him Lord, he told her to go from that temple in a power and in a grace that she never had before. Now think about that. Dragged into the temple in the darkness of night, before the dawn, broken, terrified, guilt-ridden, powerless, and lost. That same woman walked out of there to the east with the light and the warmth of the Jerusalem sunrise blazing upon her brand new countenance. And then, then Jesus spake to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, have the light of life. You see, folks, pictures are just pictures, and symbols are just symbols, and religion is just religion. What Jesus alone can offer is light and life and forgiveness of sins. You may notice in Luke 8, verse 24, the Lord addresses this crowd. You know what he says? I said, therefore, unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not, that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. Friends, nobody has to die in their sins. In verse 32 of this same chapter, Jesus said, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. In verse 36 of the same chapter, If the Son shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Verse 30 says, As He spake these words, 
many believed on him. Pastor, I just don't think there's any one way to be saved. I don't think that Jesus is the only way, even though he says he's the only way. You know, not long ago, I was up in Orlando, and I looked over at a practice area in a golf course, and I saw an old classmate of mine from Martin County High School I hadn't seen since high school, 47 years ago. I went up to him, and we got to talking, and he went on to become a very successful player on the PGA Tour, and he had just finished his autobiography. I showed it to Maddie yesterday in my office. So we went back to his office, and he grabbed a copy of his autobiography, and he wrote a nice note to me, and, and we talked about that, and it includes his testimony of his accepting Christ as Savior. As we stood, stood there and exchanging memories of high school days, I was reminded of something that happened during driver's ed. Our driver's ed teacher was also his golf coach. So, you know, a lot of times during golf season, the coach would leave class and take some of his players with him to a tournament, trusting us to drive the school cars on the optical course. It wasn't all that risky, to be honest with you, because the optical course had cones set up so that you had to break and turn, break and turn about every 40 or 50 feet. It was really boring, to be honest with you. One day, I'm sitting in trigonometry class. This is the class just before driver's ed, every day. And our teacher was talking about tangents and how if you move this line to over here, it help, makes a whole new blah, 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 blah. You know how math teachers are. <laughs> and a light bulb went off in my mind. After class, I go over to driver's ed, and sure enough, coach has to leave about halfway through. We're still practicing these boring turns uh, on these cones. Until after I left, I told the guys, I said, look, every time we come around, roll your window down, pick up a cone, and then drive and then drop it off over there. And when I come around, I'll do it, and then we'll keep on doing it, the next guy. And it only took a few minutes, honestly, and what was created was what NASCAR calls a straightaway. <laughs> yeah, a straightaway of about 150 feet where you could really go fast. It was really like, ah, uh, ah, uh, uh, you know, all the way around. That was a fun day in driver's ed. Until this one guy, who was new to driving, went too fast, hit the brakes too late, and went right through the fence and smashed up the front of the car. That was not a good day. <laughs> if you're here this morning, and you think, you know, that you or anyone, any religious leader, anybody, can rearrange the cones God himself has established for true salvation. You know, just make your own easier, more fun or faster way to have your sins forgiven and go to heaven. In the end, you're going to crash. And it's not a temporal crash. Proverbs 14, 12 says that there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death, eternal death. You see, folks, when, when Jesus said, let him that is without sin cast the first stone, that was a religious crowd he was talking to. They were very, very proud of their religion. They designed their own way. And yet from the oldest to the youngest, they had to walk away. 
Because Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Including that woman caught in adultery, who you may notice in the text didn't just walk away, she was sent away, forgiven and cleansed and saved for her faith. I want us to bow our heads for a moment. We're going to pray as we always do and have a brief invitation here as we always do. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I wonder how many of you this morning would say, Pastor Blaylock, I'm here today, and by the grace and the mercy of God, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer. If I were to die today, I know by the grace of God I'd be in heaven, my name's written there, because I have applied simple faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. But as a Christian, I needed this message today. Can I remind every believer here of what Jesus said to that woman? He didn't say, thy sins are forgiven thee. He didn't say, neither do I condemn thee. Go have a good time. He actually said, go and sin no more. Because when you're saved, you have the power not to be perfect, but to be overcomers. Christian in this room, if you're saved, your life ought to show that you're saved. Pastor Black, I'm here today, I'm saved, but I needed this message today. How many Christians would say that with uplifted hands to the building? Many, many, many. Scores of folks. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I wonder who'd say this morning, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. And no one's looking. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. No one's looking. I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure if I died today that my sins are forgiven that my name is written in heaven. And remember what Jesus said, ye shall die in your sins. If you die in your sins, you are separated from God for all of eternity in hell. But you don't have to die in your sins. I'm not sure that I'm saved. Would you pray for me? I'm not going to come and embarrass you. I just want to pray for you with heads bowed, eyes closed. Who would say that? Would you lift your hand up high? God bless you, ma'am. Someone else? God bless you, young lady. Raise it up there high enough. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I see your hand. God bless you. Anyone else? Hold it up. I need to be saved today. Would you just pray for me? I see your hand, young man. God bless you. Several folks, many folks. If you're at home watching or somewhere watching, raise your hand right there before the Lord. We're going to stand for a moment, in a moment, and have a time of invitation. And again, I encourage you, if you raise your hand, if God is speaking to your heart, Brother Andy will be here at the front. We would love to speak with you. Whatever God is speaking to your heart about, obey his voice. Father, again, thank you for this day, for the truths, the real truth that surrounds the birth and the coming of your son, Jesus. Thank you for these many, many hands that were raised today. And you see all the ones we didn't see and the ones who are watching. And mostly you see their hearts. I pray, Father, for those who've never accepted Christ, continue to use the rest of this time to draw them to you, to the cross, and to salvation. For those in this room that may be saved, but they're not following Christ and they're not walking in light, convict them. Convict them, Lord. Use this time to help them to come back and this altar to that end as well. Have your will and your way in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's stand together, shall we? Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. Just as I am as the hymn, Brother Terry is going to lead us. And again, Andy's at the front. If you need to speak with someone, heads bowed, eyes closed.
as we sing. You come, you use this altar as we sing. heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around for just a few moments. I just want to say a couple words and we're going to sing one more verse and, and perhaps close. For those of you who raise your hand saying, yes, I need to be saved. And for undoubtedly many in this room who are under conviction, the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, but you didn't raise your hand for all of you. Do not let another year go by. Another season of remembering. Do not let another day, a moment go by putting off your decision to trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We quoted earlier Romans 6, and it says, the wages of sin is death. And 323, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. You're looking at a sinner behind this pulpit, and there's all sinners in this pew. The wages of that sin is death. That means eternal death. John said, death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. That's the wages of sin. Eternal death. And if you don't exercise the faith that God commands you to exercise in His Son, you will die in your sins, yet die in your sins, and face that eternal death. I'm grateful and thankful this morning that that text in Romans 6.23 doesn't stop there. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, gift, gift, gift. You don't pay for it, you don't earn it, and you certainly don't deserve it. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no amount of works, your sacrifices or sacraments or gifts that can ever earn a moment in God's presence in heaven. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you do that this morning? You can do it there in your pew. We have had dozens and dozens, scores of people right in their pew get saved, accept Christ, and go on to live faithful lives. Right there in your pew, you can call out to the Lord, believe on Him, call on Him. Pray something like this, Dear Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, and right now I confess my sins. I need to be saved. And as best I can, I call on you to save me. I believe you died for me, and that you rose again and that you're alive, and that you will save me. I trust you as my Lord and Savior today. Pray something like that right there in your pew. And then as soon as possible, let us know. We're going to sing another verse. If someone wants to come forward and speak with Andrew, as we sing, you come.
Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your word, for the truth of your word. We are thankful, Father, for so many people saying, yes, I need prayer, I need to be saved, but I pray for them, Lord, continually now. Help all of us to do so. They come in full faith to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for those who profess Christ, all of us, Lord, who name the name because we've been forgiven and cleansed and saved, may we walk in that light, no longer in darkness. We'll bless you for the fruit that remains because of it. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. I want you to notice something, beloved. It is 12.02. You heard an amazing orchestra and choir. Meh, kind of a message, but hey. You're out of here at 12.02. You know what that's called? A Christmas miracle. Amen. <laughs> Not in this place, but in most places. I have a question. You glad you're saved? Amen. Fellowship one with another. Be here tonight. The brand new pastor of Horizon Baptist Church will be here preaching tonight. I'll be here, Lord willing. God bless you all. You are dismissed. Merry Christmas. <laughs>